I want to tell you about a conversation that I recently had with uh, two Mormon missionaries. Very interesting conversation. So, you know, the, the Mormon religion is built up on, on what Joseph Smith taught. And so I was sitting down with, uh, for lunch with, with these Mormon missionaries, and my question to them was just simply this. How do you know that Joseph Smith didn't just make this whole thing up? I mean, how do you know he didn't just make it up? And, and, and so I, I posed that question to them, and they gave me a very interesting answer. They said, well... We, we believe what he taught because we prayed and asked God if he would show us if it's true or not what he was teaching, and we have an inner peace that what he said was true. I don't know about you, sometimes I, I'm skeptical, and by, by nature I'm a, I'm a skeptic. And so a lot of times when I think about even Christianity, I wonder, what if this whole thing is made up? What if, what if after we die, that truly is the end? What if life is all that there is? What if it just, it's all for nothing and it all goes dark? What if our lives are centered around the greatest hoax in history? And I wonder these questions. And I know, I know the, the answers that we like to typically give as Christians. I know that we, we like to say, well... I've at least lived a good life if I've followed my faith. And we like to say things like, well, you may have to take a step of blind faith before you, you know, in order to understand, in order to believe this. And I don't know about you, but that just doesn't sound very appealing to me. And I'm glad, you know, that there is a way for us to know to have reasonable evidence, unlike the Mormons who, who believe something internally subjective, who believe a feeling that they have, we can have, we have reasonable evidence that the resurrection happened. And that because the resurrection happened, all of the things that Jesus taught and all of who He is are true. And so, here's the point that we're going to look at this morning. The resurrection is an event that happened in history that is the anchor for our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the anchor for our faith in Jesus Christ. Or to put it a different way, on the cross, Christ wrote a check, but with the resurrection, it cleared the bank. With the resurrection, it cleared the bank. And so, we're going to read something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is what he says, and I'm going to ask that as we read this, if you would please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. This is what God says through the Apostle Paul. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach Your Word, and Lord, as we approach the resurrection 
As we think on the fact that our King is alive, Lord, we, we come this morning and we simply ask that You would show us how the resurrection is so relevant to our lives. Show us the importance of the resurrection, not just for the believers who lived in the first century, but Lord, I pray that we would see today, here in the 21st century, how the resurrection is relevant to us today. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And that is the question that we're going to ask this morning. That's the question that we're going to ask. How is the resurrection relevant to us today? Paul writes and he says, hey, this is of first importance. This is of first importance, but we've got to ask the question, why? Why is this so important? How is this relevant to us? And so as I read this passage, there's a few questions that come to my mind that I think we need to answer to get at how this is relevant, how it ties into our lives. And the first one is simply, did the resurrection happen? Did the resurrection happen? I think that there's reasonable evidence that suggests that it did happen. And for people who want to say, no, it didn't happen, there's several obstacles that they have to go through. First of all, the empty tomb. What do you do with the empty tomb? Well, of course, there's some people who say, well, you know, maybe Jesus was not really dead when they put him in the tomb, but the Romans were experts at executing people. And the accounts that we read in Scripture and other historical accounts make it clear that crucifixion, they made sure that the person was good and dead. Hence why they thrust a a spear into his side. Nevertheless, even if he was alive, he would have to move a heavy stone and then disarm the guards in front of the tomb. Some people say, well, his body was stolen. To which scholars these days say that's a psychological impossibility for his disciples who scattered to then come up with some master plan to come back together and steal the body. And some people say, well, maybe it was the Jews that stole it. Don't you think that if the Jews stole his body, when the disciples came up and claimed resurrection, they would have said, no, he's dead and here's his body right here. The tomb is empty. We have to do something with that. Not only was the tomb empty, But another obstacle that people that deny the resurrection have to jump through is the fact that there are eyewitnesses. Now, I get that when there's an empty tomb, we could still say, well, something happened to the body and he's still dead, except there are people after that, eyewitnesses, who saw him alive. And I just want to draw your attention to the most unlikely of witnesses. Who are the first people that saw Jesus in his resurrected body? It was a group of women. It was a group. Now we look at that and we say in our 21st century mind, well, perfect. You know, I mean, honestly, I would rather, I, I think, you know, especially Brittany would probably remember better than I would if she saw that. So it's probably better that they saw it. But in the first century, you got to understand that women had a very low social status. Their testimony was not even admissible in court. So if this was a hoax, and if the disciples were just making up resurrection, surely they would have gotten better witnesses that wouldn't have heaped shame on their movement. 
But not only were women eyewitnesses, look at even the passage that we read. He says that he appeared to more than 500 brothers. 500 eyewitnesses. Some people like to say, well, the resurrection was a hallucination. I've never seen a hallucination that could fool 500 people and 500 people see the same thing. In fact, imagine in a court of law today, if 500 people stood up and told you what they saw, and their testimonies aligned, the evidence would be irrefutable. 500 people saw the risen Christ. And that's Paul's point in even telling that to the Corinthian church. He tells them, hey, 500 people saw Him risen. Do you have any doubts? Go ask one of them. They're still alive. Don't just ask one. Ask several. 500 people saw Him. Another thing, another hurdle that people who deny the resurrection have to jump through is the fact that Christianity spread. In fact, when you look at how Christianity exploded afterwards, the only to me, the only plausible thing is maybe the resurrection really was true. I mean, think about it. You have disciples who are scattering. They are running away. They're not, they're not taking courage during the crucifixion. They're running. And these men would have never gone out and spread this religion. They would not have gone and spread the good news of Jesus if they knew it was a hoax. I mean, realize that these men met bloody deaths all but one. They would never have gone out to spread something that they thought was truly a hoax. I think when we look at all the evidence, this and many more, the conclusion that we have to come to is the fact that the resurrection really happened. That there's reasonable evidence for us to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, I have a preschooler at, at my house and, and she's at that phase now where she has one favorite word. The word why. Hey, you need to go pick up your toys. Why? Hey, you don't need to go near that such and such. But why? Anybody with toddlers? I mean, can y'all? I, I see some heads shaking out there. Good. Yes. Y'all know how it is. And it, no matter what you say, it's just hard, it's hard to disarm that question. And I mean, you could go to the age old because I told you so. It still doesn't answer their question. And I think a lot of times we want to ask that question too, especially of this. You know, we come into a, a worship gathering and we see that Jesus was raised from the dead, that His resurrection is the most important thing in human history. And we, like, like uh, preschoolers, just want to say, but why? And that's the next question we're going to ask. Why is the resurrection important? In other words, it's the question of who cares? If Jesus was raised, who cares? We see in this passage that we're reading, first of all, that the resurrection is important because it, the resurrection validates our faith. The resurrection validates our faith. And, and look, look further in 1 Corinthians 15 where we're reading there. It says this in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep or who have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's point is simply this. The resurrection 
validates our faith. It makes our faith not futile. It makes our faith worth having. And if our faith can't be grounded in the resurrection, if it can't be grounded in something external outside of us, then our faith is pointless. We're still in our sins. And the opposite, of course, is also true. Because the resurrection is true, that means that our faith is what Jesus taught and what we are trusting in is of the utmost importance. In other words, Paul's point here is because Jesus was truly raised from the dead, all that He taught is true. All that He was, all that He represented was true. And it validates everything. And so the question simply that we've got to ask ourselves, because it's so important, because it validates what He taught, what are you going to do with this Jesus? What are you going to do with this Jesus? The second thing that the resurrection shows us as, an, as it is important is it calms our doubts. It calms our doubts. The Apostle John, one of the other apostles, was writing to a church that had many doubts in his letter uh, called 1 John. They had many doubts. They didn't even know if they're Christians. They were doubting everything. And this is what he writes to them and says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. He writes to this church and says, hey, I know you have doubts. And what does He point them to? Does He say, but you just know in your hearts that Jesus came back alive from the grave. You have this inward peace. He doesn't say that, does He? He points the people to something outside of them. He points the people to what they have seen with their eyes. He points them to what they've heard with their ears, to what they put their hands on and touched. In other words, He's saying this faith that we have, we can calm our doubts knowing that it's not just some kind of internal faith that we have, some kind of blind leap of faith, but we are actually trusting in something outside of us that which can tangibly be seen and heard and touched. Something that happened in history. When we have doubt. And let me just tell you, it's okay to have doubt. It's okay to ask questions. And a lot of times people say, well, oh, you can't doubt. You're not supposed to doubt. You're not supposed to ask questions. I tell you, if I have a faith that won't stand up to questioning, I, I don't have a very strong faith, do I? In fact, Christianity is about that. It's about, hey, come in skeptic, ask questions. Because we believe that our faith will withstand the questions. We believe that it will answer the questions. We believe it will calm the doubts. It's okay to have those doubts. And let me tell you, when we have them, we don't cling to an inward feeling. We don't cling to something subjective. But we cling to an external fact. That Jesus was raised to life. Something outside of us. Something that can be seen, heard, and touched. Something that happened in history. The resurrection is important because it validates who Jesus was and what He taught, but it also calms our doubts. It answers our questions. 
finally, we ask the question, that's good that it's important, but how is it relevant? How is it relevant? Something can be important without being relevant. Something can be important without working its way into your everyday life. And so the next question we ask is, how is the resurrection relevant to me? How is it relevant to me? And to understand its relevance, you've got to understand the good news that Jesus taught. You've got to understand the fact that we were born into sin. The Bible teaches that we, were, we are born into sin, that we personally sin, that we are in rebellion against the Holy God. And that because of our rebellion, listen, because of our rebellion, we are facing His wrath. Now I know in our, in our culture today, we like to ask a lot of questions, and one question is, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God really punish people? But the question, as if you dive into the Scripture, we're asking the wrong question. The right question, as you start to understand God more, is how could a holy, righteous God forgive anybody? How could He forgive anybody? And so that's what makes the Gospel such good news. That Jesus came into this world. That God sent the remedy for our sin. That Jesus lived a life that we could not live. Perfectly holy. Perfectly righteous. And listen, He died the death that you and I deserve. He died the death that you and I deserve. So that so that we can have a relationship with God. Which, by the way, is what we were designed for. It's what we were made for. We can have a relationship with God that will bring us joy. We can have a relationship with God that will forgive us of our sins. We'll have a relationship with God that brings us ultimate fulfillment in this life. That brings us a contentment and a joy that is beyond our circumstances. That brings us a joy that is still there as we face death. Still there as we face cancer. Still there as, as we face loss. Whatever situation you're in, He offers us a joy that abides even there. And so, we need to realize that when we trust that Gospel, that the, the resurrection impacts our life in three ways. That's super relevant. And the first one is, the resurrection the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can dwell in us. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. And here's the idea that Paul is getting at is because of the resurrection, one way that it's relevant is the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. That very same power lives in the believer. And so that means that the Spirit who gave Him life, the same power that gave Jesus new life, can give us new life. And let me tell you, it does not matter how far you think you are from God. You may think that you are the farthest possible person the least likely person to ever receive God's grace. And I'm here to tell you today that based on what we see here, the same power that worked in Christ to raise Him from the dead can work in you and transform you and clean you. He will have you no matter how far you think you are. In fact, I pray regularly that God 
in this church would save people not who are, think they're close to God, but I pray regularly that God would save somebody in this church who is far from God. Somebody, I mean, you, you would see them come to Jesus and you would just say, you know, that was the least likely person I would ever have thought would have come to Christ. He will have you no matter who you are, no matter what you have done. The second thing of how it, how it becomes relevant to our life, how it impacts our life, is Jesus offers this resurrection to us. From the fall, death has reigned over the human race. Every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever lived, with very few exceptions, has died. And every one of us in this room will die. That's the effects of sin. Where sin entered the world, death was right behind it. And so Jesus came in to redeem, to save. And one way that He does that, listen, one way that He does that, He undoes the effects of the fall and He brings resurrection. He brings resurrection and He offers it. He offers it to people like us. Fallen people who are sinful, who are rebellious against God. And He offers us Resurrection and life eternal. But the third thing that He offers us is not just resurrection when we die, but He offers us true life. He promises us true life. I know that you're, if you're a guest with us or maybe you're new to the faith or you're just kind of looking in, and you know, Christianity a lot of times you may think is just a religion for the dying people. And here in the last few weeks, I've been to many funerals. I've been to many funerals. And it's easy for, for us to think that well, what Jesus offers, well, that's mostly for when we die. We need to make sure we know where we're going. That's what you hear, right? And especially in Baptist churches. Well, if you die right now, where are you going to go? But we miss the point. We miss the point that Jesus is not just offering us something that kicks in when we die. Jesus is offering us something right now. In fact, if you think, well, Christianity is just about when we die, you've missed the whole point of Christianity. Jesus is offering us eternal life right now. Eternal joy right now. How does He do it? He gives us a relationship with God. He gives us joy. He gives us living water. He didn't just die so that He could get us into heaven, but He died also so He could get heaven into us. So that we can experience life. So that we can experience joy. Joy that surpasses our situations. Joy that goes beyond anything we walk through. And fulfillment. Fulfillment. The questions we asked this morning, did the resurrection happen? I think we have plausible evidence to suggest that it did. Why is the resurrection important? Well, it's important because it validates the object of the Christian faith and it calms our doubts for us who are Christians. Finally, how is the resurrection relevant to me? That's the most important question. How does it interact with you and me here in the 21st century? The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead can live in us. Jesus offers us resurrection and life. The question this morning for you and for me is what are you going to do with this Jesus? What are you going to do with this Jesus? As we transition to a time 
of response. I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads with me. As we think about how to respond to this Jesus, there are several groups of people in this room. First of all, you might be here this morning and you're a Christian. And you might you might have been walking with Christ for a long time, or you may be new to the faith, you may be not sure. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, then your response to this message is simply to rejoice. Our King is alive. And not just rejoice this one day of the year, but to rejoice every day. But maybe there's some of you in this room who are not Christians. You know, Easter is a great time to check out the Christian faith. It's a good time to ask questions. It's a good time to press in. And we're glad that you're here if you're a guest. And if you're a guest with us and you're not a Christian, or maybe you remember here and you're not a Christian. We ask you that simple question, what will you do with this Jesus? If the resurrection really is true, and it's relevant to our lives, what are you going to do with it? And I invite you, if you're not a Christian, maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know, I've never trusted this Jesus. I know He offers life. I know He offers resurrection. And I've never surrendered myself to Him. I've never trusted Him. I've never clinged to Him. If that's you this morning, I'd invite you to pray with me right where you are. Lord Jesus, something like this. I mean, just cry out to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've missed Your mark and I know that I am at odds with God because of my sin. But Lord, I believe that You came to this earth to save me. I believe that You lived a life I couldn't live, that You died the death I deserved. And Lord, I believe that You rose from the dead. And Lord, the best I know how, right now, here and now, I am... I want to surrender my life to You and I want to be a Christian. I want to follow You, Lord, wherever You go. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm not, I'm not one of those preachers who's into coercion and who like lifting hands and standing up and all that. I'm just going to ask, if you did that, would you respond? And... There are several ways you can respond. There are several ways you can follow up with what you just decided, what you just did. And in one way is in just a moment, as we stand and sing, you can come down front and just grab me by the hand and say, hey, I just prayed to receive Christ. Or hey, I want to pray and receive Christ. But I know there's a lot of you in here, if you prayed that, you would say, I don't want to go in front of all these people. And what I would ask you to do if that's you, on your Connect card that you got when you came in in your bulletin. I would ask that you would just jot down a way that I can connect with you. And in the notes there, just write down, hey, I prayed to receive Christ. Or hey, I, I, I want to know more. Hey, I want to connect with you so we can talk more about this. And then what I want you to do is I want you to fold that up and as you're going out, drop it in the basket so I can follow up with you. And that's not something so that, so that the church can... Everybody knows what that's just so so me and you can get together and talk. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your death for us. 
But more than that, Lord, we thank You for the fact that You did not stay dead. That death could not hold You. That You were victorious over death. And Lord, because You live, because You rose from the dead, we have hope. We have hope in this life. We have hope beyond this life that You will bring to us resurrection. That You will clean us. That You will transform us. That You meet us where we are. And so Lord, as we come to this time of singing and response, Lord, I pray that You would move in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen.